You've dreamed of building a family, but the journey hasn't been easy. I'm Dr. Laura Shaheen, a reproductive endocrinologist helping people build families every day. On our new podcast, Baby or Bust, we'll be learning from both reproductive experts and people who have faced challenges just like yours. Join us every week for Baby or Bust, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to follow us so you never miss an episode. Bowl season is here and it's time to get in on the action with my bookie. Don't be that guy with no rooting interest as your relatives or friends sit around watching the game. No, not this year. Not when there are a record 41 bowl games to bet on, including the national championship on Jan 7th. It really is the most wonderful time of the year. Make sure you're ready for the daily action by signing up at MyBookie today. They pay fast when you win, ownership cares about good customer service, and they offer the craziest props. Where you bet is just as important as who you're betting on. And if you want to make money during the bowl season, you got to go to MyBookie. I trust them, but you don't have to take my word for it. Check them out yourself. Join now and MyBookie will offer you a 50% deposit bonus to make sure you have the nice bankroll for the bowl season. Use promo code ZABE when you deposit and activate the offer. That's promo code ZABE, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo. At MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. Today on the ZabeCast, I've absorbed the shock of the Redskins cutting DJ Swearinger, but I've now concluded it's worse than I thought, and in a weird sort of way. LeBron James has had quite a week of controversy. You might be surprised at one of my nerdiest guilty pleasures, and a quick tech recap of my Christmas plus, Hey Thief, put down that house. Your essential Sports Talk Day starter is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go. Oh, here we go! Wednesday, December 26, 2018. Thank you for downloading and thank you for pressing play. I hope you had yourself a wonderful Christmas. I hope if you have little kids, they did not wear you the bleep out. Chances are they did. But I'll just say this for all the young parents out there, or at least younger than me. Man, soak up these years. Soak them up. Take lots of pictures. Take lots of videos on your phone and not vertically take lots and lots of videos because the years I mean they're gone in a blink and so if you're working on very little sleep from a very early wake up on Christmas morning just appreciate it because it won't last forever okay I got a lot to talk about today and we'll get as much as we can in quick 35 minute run or thereabouts today as we are on pseudo holiday break this week DJ Swearinger will lead off today, but before I get to DJ, I have some good news and some bad news. The good news is good news for me, not really for you. Uh, The bad news is for everyone who didn't get on this quick enough, but Zave Vegas 2019 at MGM Grand is officially sold out. Last two spots in the field of 64 signed up just last night. Now, here's what I am deathly afraid of. I had no idea, by the way, it would sell out this quick. In fact, in years past, the most people I had had for Zay Vegas was around 50 or so people per, you know, per night. 
Now, I did kind of combine the two nights, so we're only going to be gathering one night officially, which is Thursday. But I honestly did not think it would sell out this quick. And what I did was this. I rewarded all of my premium subscribers with a blast via the email address. I've got your emails, and I sent that out to everybody. And then once that kind of trickled through the ranks, I then made sure to mention it in a Zabecast last week. Maybe once, maybe twice, I don't know. I kind of buried it as an Easter egg. And I thought, okay, well, let me reward then the people that are hardcore listeners that listen to every show. And let me reward, of course, the premium subscribers. I'm afraid there is a number of people who have emailed me over the last couple of months. Hey, man, Wednesday Vegas. And I keep telling them via email, still working on it. There'll be an announcement hopefully by Christmas. Still working on it. I'll let you know when it happens. God, I hope those people who emailed me, if you're one of them, please, God, tell me you heard about it and you signed up. Well, why don't you just make it bigger than 64? Well, what's the big deal? Well, here's the reason. Number one is, as part of the $64 fee for Zave Vegas, you get entry into the 64-man bracket in the Papa Shot tournament we're going to have at MGM Grand. With the first prize getting a 50-inch television. It's only 200 bucks, cheapo. It's a good prize. So just settle down. That's number one. Number two, because part of the $64 is going to include VIP entrance to the nightclub, I think we're going to Hakkasan at MGM Grand. That could change. I'll take you somewhere. You know, we'll skip the line and we'll get in. Don't have to pay a cover charge. That's like worth 20 25 bucks right there. I really can't expand that 64 That's a pretty big group. I can't bring 200 people with us, or even really 100. I was told by... My guy at MGM Grand, I, I I just can't bring that many people into the nightclub. And even if a number of people say, well, I don't want to do the nightclub, that's fine. It's a big group. So I cannot expand Zay Vegas. And what I want is in years to come, I want there to be that urgency of, hey, there's a limited number of spots. And I want to be able to meet everybody that is signed up for the event and spend some time. So that's why I wanted to limit it. If you emailed me and were waiting for me to email you back saying, okay, here it is. Because I did not put it on the website. I did not make an announcement on the radio in D.C. And I didn't hammer it on the Zabecast itself. I just sent out an email only to my 1,000 subscribers. I have many more people on my email blast list. You guys signed up for it. And I don't try to abuse it, but um, I didn't send it out on that either. So, um, uh, sorry? That it sold out. Moving right along. Let's talk DJ Swearinger. He has been picked up by the Arizona Cardinals. It'll be a second stint with the Cardinals after being released by the Redskins in a sudden and shocking Christmas Eve cut. I have been absorbing and synthesizing and just sort of, I'm just sort of looking at a lot of the reactions from fans on the internet, on social media, listening to them. We did take some calls on the show on Monday. And what is amazing to me is that this Redskins team and this organization is so hated and is so dysfunctional, or even when they do something which I deem functional, and I would say cutting a guy who has been told repeatedly, shut the fuck 
up about your complaints to the media regarding how hard practices are, coverage is, who did this, who did that, whatever. Shut up. They've told Swearinger multiple times enough of this already. And they've covered for him a couple of times. They've said, well, you know, uh, we want our players to have passionate disagreements at times. We just would prefer to keep it in-house. They've been through this dance with this guy, and he just wouldn't listen. So they cut him, which I'm totally in favor of. You're not going to win anything with this guy. He's not that good. He was having a good first half of the season. He tailed off. He's a Pro Bowl alternate. DJ Swearinger is not going to make a difference in the grand scheme of things. Congrats, Arizona. You got him back. He's on his fifth team or fourth team, one of those a second time. Fifth NFL stop in his young career. And for a guy who's talented, that should tell you something right there. But here's what's amazing to me. So the Redskins finally did one thing that was functional, I thought. And because they are perceived so negatively by the fan base, that this move is now being used as further proof of the team's dysfunction and calling it a, quote, clown show. And basically siding with Swearinger. Wow. That's something. I would have thought after all the things they let slide this last, you know, month and a half, starting with the signing of Reuben Foster, going to Mason Foster's Instagram comments, to Monte Nicholson not being cut. By the way, I was in favor of cutting Mason Foster, in favor of cutting Monte Nicholson, and in favor of cutting DJ Swearinger. I guess I'm like Homer Simpson in that episode where he's the youth football coach. Janie, you're cut. Steven, I like your hustle, but you're cut too. That's why it was very hard to do so. And you're cut, and you're cut, and you're cut. Maybe that's just the mood I'm in. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe this is me overreacting as a fan. That said, a lot of fans are siding with Swearinger. Now, Swearinger said some things in his interview which turned out to be an exit interview with Grant and Danny on our competing station in town, 106.7 The Fan. Kudos to them. They had him all year as a paid weekly guest. Half the times I would listen to him do that spot, I would come away going, what What did he just say? Like he, you know, DJ has a soulful, down-home, tell-it-like-it-is sort of cadence to him. And a deep voice there where it's like, if you don't have your DJ to, uh, you know, English translator, you don't necessarily know what he's talking about half the time. But kudos to them. They had Swearinger literally minutes after he had been cut. And he still came on the segment. I guess he was like, well, shit, I need to get paid for this, so I'll come on. And he said a lot of interesting things in that interview, including that he had been stripped of his captain's C that he wore last year by Jay Gruden, that Jay Gruden basically overrode the wishes of the players. The players wanted him to be a captain as well. Funny, I've heard this before about NFL captaincies where it's supposed to be the players' vote, or at least that's, I think, how the teams like to position it. They go, okay, who do you want to be captain of your unit, the offense and the defense? And the players vote in some formal or informal way or who knows how. And that's supposed to carry the day. But the team can still say it's the team that sort of runs the election. So like a Venezuelan election, I think the team can say, okay, so the players want to vote 
DJ Swearinger captain, but we've got issues with him as a coaching staff and as an organization, so we're not going to put that captain's C on his chest. Swearinger said that was one thing that uh, bothered him, or at least he didn't understand. The other thing he said was that he would constantly tell new guys in the short time he was here that came to the Redskins who were surprised about how easy and how light practices were that, hey, man, this is just how it is. It's real laid back here. The old knock of Club J, as some people call it. Of course, it's easy for me on the radio or callers to a show to go, I want them practicing in pads all day long. Remember, they're limited in the number of padded practices they can have between the start of training camp and the end of the season, and it's an absurdly low amount. I think it's as little as 14 padded practices all year. Uh, And maybe not from the start of camp. I'm thinking at the end of camp. So you might get one padded practice a week, if that, for a course of a 17-week schedule. I don't know if there's any scientific proof that practicing guys in pads and smashing your own guys against more of your own guys on a Wednesday or a Thursday leads to better success on the football field. The old school Neanderthal thinking says, well, of course, toughens you up. Yeah, well, once upon a time, Bear Bryant and coaches in college used to think denying players water toughened them up. That was later found out to be completely idiotic. Other players have chimed in about the Redskins. Duke Iannaccio, who came here from Denver, basically said total dysfunction in the front office. Liked playing here, he said, but couldn't believe the stuff that went on from the guys in the suits. Okay, I don't doubt it. We've been chronicling it, but thank you for that, Duke. Then there was Bashad Breeland, formerly of the Redskins, now at the Packers, who said in a tweet, to DJ Swearinger, welcome to my club. Something along the lines of the uh, uh, the scapegoat club or the blame game club. Okay. Bashad Breeland, good player, had his own issues. I don't want to get into it. I just remember back to early in the season when DJ Swearinger was playing games. I'm pretty sure playing games with tape on his face mask in a tribute to the late great Sean Taylor, because that's what Sean Taylor did a couple of times as well. It's an insane way to waste your money because the NFL is going to swoop in and fine you, and I think it's upwards of $25,000 for equipment violations that are repeated violations, and that that is one of them. And I remember early in the season, I'm like, God, you know, I sound like an old man here, but I really wish the coaching staff would turn DJ right around and say, son, mister, You go back in that locker room and you take that athletic tape off your face mask. That's not how we do things around here. And I didn't really harp on it because I don't want to sound like that old man. But there is a certain element of nip, nip, nip it in the bud when you can to prevent bigger problems down the road. Maybe that would have done it with Swearinger. Maybe not. I might be delusional. It may not have made a difference at all. I think later in the year, and I'll have to check this for any Redskin fans that were watching closely, tell me if, if he was playing games with the tape on. 
Later in the year, as recently as a couple weeks ago, I noticed that there was tape on his face mask while warming up. But then when the game came, it was off. And I guess that was a way to either appease what the coaches had finally said of knock that off or to not keep spending money that was ridiculous, to just flush that money down the toilet. Either way, he gone. And now, ha-ha Clinton Dix may end up getting a contract, which, oh my God, I got to sit down. What's that? I'm already sitting down. I got to sit down if he gets a new contract. If we end up making it essentially a DJ Swearinger for ha-ha Clinton Dix trade, that to me would be the worst. But it could actually happen. Not a straight trade because you know Arizona's going to keep him. He's got one more year left in this deal that he signed with the Redskins. It's not an onerous deal in terms of money. So he's their property and will be so, I assume, next year, and then he'll be a free agent. But that's a bad swap right there. And then you've got Monte Nicholson, our third safety, uh, sort of up in the air because of the incident he had in the parking lot with whoever it was he was punching into uh, the hospital. Not good for a team that has been on a constant search for safeties the last, oh, I don't know, 10 years it seems. It looks like we might be right back to the search, right back into the wilderness looking for a safety, and with all three of them gone. Ufa. Bowl season is here, and it's time to get in on the action with my bookie. Don't be that guy with no rooting interest as your relatives or friends sit around watching the game. No, not this year. Not when there are a record 41 bowl games to bet on, including the national championship on Jan 7. It really is the most wonderful time of the year. Make sure you're ready for the daily action by signing up at MyBookie today. They pay fast when you win, ownership cares about good customer service, and they offer the craziest props. Where you bet is just as important as who you're betting on. And if you want to make money during the bowl season, you got to go to MyBookie. I trust them, but you don't have to take my word for it. Check them out yourself. Join now, and MyBookie will offer you a 50% deposit bonus to make sure you have the nice bankroll for the bowl season. Use promo code ZABE when you deposit and activate the offer. That's promo code ZABE, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo. At MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. LeBron James has had quite a week. Two controversies and really no collateral damage despite the fact that if it was anybody else and especially if it happened to be a white player who had said both these things holy god the double standard is staggering but then again we all know that LeBron James on his TV show The Shop said the following quote in the NFL they got a bunch of old white men owning teams and they got that slave mentality and it's like this is my team you do what the fuck I tell you all to do or we'll get rid of y'all first of all this is how something called employment works LeBron I'm sure it's the exact same thing that Maverick Carter your high school buddy does with your slaves working for you and for Maverick at Clutch Sports. He tells them what the fuck to do, or we'll get rid of all (laughs) y'all. That's called employment. It's I know it's a crazy concept, but eventually you'll you'll come around to it. The other thing that to me is amazing is you've got 
got a group of people in billionaire NFL owners who are not liked, and nobody is sympathetic towards them. But to lump them all together and say, you got a bunch of white old men owning teams, and then use the slave thing, there are defenders of LeBron saying, well, he just said they have the slave mentality. He's not comparing making millions of dollars playing for an NFL team to actual slavery. At that point, you've lost the argument if you're going to try to make it. Nobody likes billionaire owners in the NFL because they don't entertain us. They do not do anything to amaze, inspire, or impress us. They're just guys that are good at business. LeBron, who is a billionaire, Tiger, who's a billionaire, Oprah, who's a billionaire, people love those billionaires because they're people that people look up to and sports fans love. NFL owners are not liked, so defending them is a very lonely task. And I guess I'm going to do a little bit of defending of some NFL owners here because, first of all, to group them together, I just still am astounded that white is now thrown around so casually as a slur. It's insane. It is so unhealthy for civic debate and dialogue. It's just, it's it's crazy. How dare you be white? Whatever happened to the old Martin Luther King saying, don't judge a man by the color of his skin? Ah, never mind. So Robert Kraft donates a plane, his plane for Parkland students to go on the march on Washington. I know that was not a black-white issue, but still, not quite like a slave owner. Jeffrey Lurie, very supportive of his players who kneeled during the anthem, including Malcolm Jenkins, who formed the Players Coalition that got NFL owners to kick in upwards of $5 million towards social justice causes. Not exactly like a slave owner. Jerry Jones, I mean, supporting Zeke Elliott to the hilt. He gives guys like Greg Hardy a chance. These are African-American men that he is all in on. Yeah, it's just because he wants them to win football games. Well, you could always make that argument, but he was supportive as well of Michael Irvin. It doesn't seem to me that anyone thinks Jerry Jones is this tired old cracker of an owner who is unsympathetic or out of touch with his African-American employees. How about Shad Khan, who is not technically white, Pakistan-born, American businessman. He built a company called Flex Engate that supplied parts to the big three automakers in the U.S., made a billion or more dollars on it, enough to buy the Jaguars, employed 12,000 people, many of whom I am sure were African-American. And I bet that company, Flex Engate, had rules in which they said, listen, this is a rule. Either you do this or we're going to get rid of you all, whether or not you're black or white. How about the Roonies? I know the Papa Rooney's gone, but Papa Rooney was the one that started the Rooney Rule to help finally break down that barrier for African-American and other minority candidates to get head coaching jobs. Is he a plantation? Is he a slave owner? So you throw around something like that just to look cool or with it or woke, and you really really make people start questioning your general intelligence. Then you get to LeBron James and the lyric sharing that was the second controversy of the week. Of the week. Wearing Lakers garb in the backseat of a car on Saturday, James shared the following lyrics from rapper 21 Savage's song ASMR in an Instagram story. 
the lyrics in the crosshairs were, quote, or not the crosshairs, the lyrics that were controversial, well, the lyrics that were, well, what's the right phrase here? The lyrics that touched off the mini firestorm were, quote, we've been getting that Jewish money, everything is kosher. That was not LeBron James saying that. That was LeBron James quoting a rap song in a, you know, in a social media message. Well, people quickly were like, James told ESPN's Dave McMenamin that he felt the lyrics spoke to the strength of the Jewish business community, a misinterpretation that perpetuates a discriminatory stereotype, writes Ben Rohrbach on Yahoo Sports. The historical link between Jewish people and money was anti-Semitic by nature, birthing mistrust of the community that carried through the Holocaust and still exists today. How does LeBron not know this? Like, seriously. Dummy. Dummy. He went on to say, apologies for sure if I offended anyone. Oh, it's the if I offended anyone. That's not why I chose to share that lyric. I always post lyrics. That's what I do. I ride in my car. I listen to great music. And that was the byproduct of it. So I actually thought it was a compliment. And obviously, it wasn't through the lens of a lot of people. My apologies. It definitely was not the intent, obviously, to hurt anybody. Oh, God. He made it worse. I I thought that was a compliment right there. You know, getting that Jewish money. All right. I guess he never saw the movie Borat, in which Sasha Baron Cohen, who is Jewish, uh, you know, did various stunts, one of which, uh, and I guess it's okay for Sasha Baron Cohen to uh, make fun of his own religion and his people uh, for his own movies, but he was like, drag a dollar bill through the room, you know, and, and, and see if a, you know, a Jewish person goes running after it. That, that's the stereotype that is, that a lot of people are like, I can't believe LeBron James doesn't understand how negative that is. Uh, Doug Allen, the creator of HBO's Entourage, was among the most vocal critics of James's Instagram post, writing, this is an anti-Semitic stereotype used for centuries to foster hatred against Jews. Of course, the NFL or the NBA has a number of team owners who are Jewish, as is Commissioner Adam Silver, as was former Commissioner David Stern. And the timing of his post between Hanukkah and Christmas also heightened the attention to the offending remarks, but... Per Adrian Wojnarowski, the NBA does not intend to fine James for sharing the lyrics on Instagram. Of course, they won't. And this is the double standard that comes to light when it you know comes to Dante DiVincenzo when he posted similar lyrics, quoting rapper Meek Mill, that included the N-word. It just boggles the mind that LeBron James can be that dense. But then again... This is what we should expect. Don't sell me LeBron James as anything other than a guy who can dunk and can sell product, who knows how to be that global icon he talked about when he came into the league. He is, and he's fantastic at it. And I guess I would say he stays out of trouble, but that's sort of like a low bar. Like you're supposed to, like Chris Rock, you're supposed to stay out of trouble. What are you talking about? LeBron James is a great, basketball businessman 
and that's about it. He knows how to leverage his celebrity, and he knows how to leverage his fame, and he knows how to leverage the fact he's good at basketball, and that's it. He's otherwise got a high school education. He's a byproduct of the internet school of woke, where he's running with certain things thinking, oh yeah, this is going to get so much positive feedback on my Twitter feed. He's faced no real adversity his entire life. He's never, I, mean, I know he grew up without a father, but I mean, that's about it. Once he turned 14 years old, his life has been an unending gravy train of awesome. He's faced no real adversity. I mean, no real adversity. Has never been exposed to any culture other than being the culture of a richer-than-shit celebrity and kiss-my-ass stardom in America. So he really has nothing to offer beyond the, hey, I'm good at basketball, and here's how I make money on being a star at basketball. It's almost like what Laura Ingram said on Fox News when she said in her commentary he should, quote, shut up and dribble. She got killed for that for the obvious reasons. A, she's white. B, she's on Fox News. And C, how dare you when it comes to LeBron James, a national treasure. LeBron, good luck with the Lakers this year, but I don't know. Just think. Think next time you post something that might be, or next time you say something and say, should I really paint all these NFL owners as bad guys with a quote of, this is my team, and do what I tell you or we get rid of all, that they have a slave mentality? All of them? Are you going to really lump them all together? I mean, are, could there be any similarities between you and, and Maverick Carter and Clutch Sports and an NFL owner who's a businessman? Ah, never mind. All right, let's do some quick hitters here, and then we'll get out on a Wednesday midweek after Christmas Day. This may surprise you a bit. It's certainly off-brand. You're gonna want. You're gonna scratch your head and go, "Really? I would. I would. You of all people would have been the last I would have thought would have liked this." Every year on Christmas, one of my favorite traditions is to watch. The Mormon Tabernacle Choir with their annual Christmas concert. That's right. What the hell did you just say? (laughs) You heard me right. It is spectacular. I know, it's terribly off-brand for a wise-ass, cussing, cynical, sports, sports, golf, sports, gadgets, drones, sports, fart jokes, You like that, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir? Yes, I do, as a matter of fact. I know you think I'm like a hard, cold captain of industry type. That's not all there is. It's not all there is. Remember, I'm a band nerd, number one. So whenever I see a huge production like this is, and I mean, we're talking, you know, the chorus is probably 200 strong, easily 100 men, 100 women, in this massive hall and it's on PBS every Christmas night, and then they replay it. Uh, I think they might not play this year's actual concert until a year later. Because we were watching at my brother-in-law's house, and we were going, wait a minute, is this this year's or last year's? And we were trying to look up and search who were the, the, the lead attractions on that show. But the choir, <laughs> it's a 200-person choir. And at one point I said something stupid. I'm like, so do they know that all of them can sing well? Or how does that work? And my wife just laughed in my face. 
And then within a second, she had Google searched a link, which is like the grueling tryout process to be part of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. I'm like, okay, that was really stupid. Of course they can all sing. But when you see them all dolled up, these men and women of all ages, just singing their little hearts out, you look and you go, ah, looks like my neighbor. Ah, looks like that guy Bill, uh, who's the account rep. Oh, looks like my doctor. Oh, looks like a younger guy I might have beers with. They're just normal guys, but they can all, all obviously sing well. You could put me in the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, and I would be knocking out and belting out those Christmas tunes totally off-key, and I would get buried in the 200-plus voices and the entire orchestra that surrounds it. But yes, every one of them can sing, and it's very hard to get in that orchestra or to get in that choir. Then you've got the massive church organs or the church organ with the massive pipes that go up to the ceiling. Then you've got a full orchestra, probably a hundred-piece orchestra with every little instrument you could imagine. Then you got the dancers, and you got the lead singers, and the host, and you got all the other stagecraft. God, is it good, man? See, I'm into anything. I will, I will be into anything that is elite. That's why I like watching it. I just watch it, and I think, what a production, what a creative thing to get. 400 people probably together to put on a show like this and how good all of them are at their job. Even if it's just a little job like playing tuba. There was some middle-aged woman on the tuba. They showed a close-up and she's like... I'm like, that tuba player, that woman, is one of the best tuba players in the country, if not the world. So I dig it from that standpoint. You show me anything that is the best of the best, that is elite in nature, I'll get into it. I will be fascinated by it. This show fascinates me. In fact, I've told my wife, I said, we've got to go. I I want to see this show in person. But we were then speculating, uh, do you think it's Mormon only? (laughs) Not that Mormons are not wonderful, open, great people. Interesting, but they're good people. I know many of them. Not many, I know some. You can't go into inner sanctuaries at Mormon temples if you're not Mormon. So they they do keep things kind of restricted. It'd be a dang shame if they didn't let, you know, anybody but Mormons into the show itself because I want to go see it in person. I want to bask in this amazing creative thing. If not, you can watch it on PBS like I do. All right, what did I get for Christmas? What tech toys did old Zabe get? Okay, back on brand, I see. Yes. Back to your selfish, narrow-minded pursuits, you dummy. Two things. I got the DJI Osmo Mobile 2 handheld gimbal for your smartphone. And I'm torn by it because it has a lot of features that are really good. And you can go watch your own reviews somewhere else. It's got a lot of functionality. You can go to YouTube. There's tons of reviews there. A lot of functionality to it that I really like. You can pre-program time-lapse, motion time-lapses where the camera, your phone, will sweep across uh, a certain angle at a certain pace while time-lapsing. Very cool shot if you want to get one of those. It's got uh, controls on the actual handle of the gimbal that will control your phone through the DJI 
Osmo app, which many handheld gimbals, cheaper gimbals, and this was only 119 bucks, which for a gadget that's pretty cool that delivers super smooth cinematic footage for your phone uh, is pretty darn good. I think 120 bucks is not bad. Problem is I bought it at Best Buy and I've got the receipt and you know me with receipts and returning things, but I think I'm going to keep it. I don't know. The other thing I bought was this drone. Aha, another drone. That's right. Called the Hover Camera Passport. You can Google that one as well. I saw it in the mall at this fancy kiosk that was all tech gadgets, and I was immediately drawn in. More than just a kiosk. It was was like one of the mid-strip stores that exists between the stores at the mall that I go to in Tyson's Corner. And I'm watching this guy fly this around, and this is a very light, very small drone, quadcopter, in which the propellers are encased in a wire or a plastic mesh case. And it folds in half, so it, it, it looks like some kind of a basket of sorts. And it'll take off, you throw it in the air, it'll automatically sense that it's falling, and it will start its propellers, and then just start hovering. You control it with your phone, and here's the real appeal. The real appeal to me is I asked him, I said, how are you able to fly this in the mall? Because I know the Tyson's Corner Mall outside of D.C. is in the most restrictive airspace for any drone operators in the country. You can go look it up. It's got several circles that are like no-fly zone, no-fly zone, even further out because it is the nation's capital. He said it's because, A, the drone is too light to qualify as having to fly by the restricted flight rules. And secondly, it is uh, it is only six, it only has a 65-foot or thereabouts range because it connects to your phone via, I want to say Bluetooth, or maybe Wi-Fi, I'd have to check it out. I haven't got it up and running just yet. Now, here's the reason that I was enticing to me, because I already have enough drones, or at least I have one drone, which is the Mavic, and I love it and whatever, is that I play golf courses where I want to get a little bit of elevation. I want to get some aerial footage or an aerial shot, but it's well within that big circle in the D.C. area, no-fly zone. Well, this would solve that problem because it's A, light enough that it doesn't qualify, and B, it doesn't use GPS to locate the drone. It's just meant to go about 65 feet up. This is perfect. This is all I want. Even when you're filming something like golf or a golf course, you don't really want to be more than 65 feet in the air. You want to be 30 to 50 feet, just high enough about treetop level to get that perspective. Now, the only thing that I don't like about it is that the camera... While it does claim to be 4K, is a very small camera, probably not that expensive. I have not tested the quality of the video footage yet, nor the still photos. But the camera is not stabilized with its own gimbal on the actual drone, which means you're not going to get that buttery smooth footage. I would love it if there's any drone makers listening to this podcast. If you could make this drone, but spend a little money on a gimbal that is actually stabilized. So in other words, keep it as a drone that goes no more than 65 feet in the air because it doesn't use GPS and just uses Bluetooth, but have a stabilized gimbal camera that is of some quality, and now, now, my friends, you'd have a drone I would love because then you could take it inside no-fly areas where it's going to be usable and you can use it for stuff. So I'll get it up and running tomorrow 
or today, I guess, Wednesday, and I'll let you know how it looks, and uh, I'll get back to you on that. I'll end on this today, and it's sadly not an uplifting story, unless you're just a sick, vindictive ass like my producer, Steve Solomon, who when I run this story by him next time I'm on the air in D.C., oh, he'll cackle. He will cackle and say, sucker. Woman builds 12-foot-tall tiny house for two years, has it stolen overnight by thieves in a truck. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, hey, hey. Megan Panu is her name. She spent two years building the tiny wooden house. It was a beautiful house. I saw pictures of it. And said she was heartbroken when she woke up one morning. She was just finishing it up. And woke up one morning. It's like, where's the house? The tiny house, as many tiny houses are, of course, are put on flatbed trailers that can be hooked up to trucks or other rugged vehicles and towed from one place to another. You know, you get someone who's like, yeah, you can park your tiny house on my land, but uh, only for a year. And then you've got to move somewhere else. Thieves just came and hooked it up and took off with it in the middle of the night. The millennial, writes this story, had recently graduated from Webster University and built the home as part of her senior thesis in environmental studies, joining the fad of minimalist-style living. Of course, she had spent $20,000 on it herself, and that, I think, is just materials alone, not labor, because she was the one building it. Maybe if she had studied criminal justice... Am I? What? Good God! That doesn't make me the bad guy. I'm just saying she didn't. I don't know. This is all part of life's education. That anything and everything that can be stolen likely will be stolen. Never underestimate what thieves can and will do. But man, that is bad. That is, you know, the Grinch, you thought he was a mean one. Yeah, I mean, he thought he was a mean one reaching down and grabbing a crumb from Cindy Lou Who. I'm taking every last crumb. Well, this Grinch took a whole house. Two years, 20 grand. Please help Miss Panu find her house. And how, what are the thieves doing to furiously repaint it and or modify it, change some windows out, go... No, no, this is, uh, we, we built this one here. Oh, really? Looks just like the one that was stolen from uh, over there on Melanie Lane. Hmm. Weird. Yeah, no, we, uh, we, we, we got the design off the internet. Basically built the same one. A little different, though. Paint's different. This is different. Man, does that suck. Those guys are in for some serious karma. You know my feeling towards porch thieves when it comes to Amazon packages during the holidays. Karma is going to get those assholes and get them good. Just a matter of time. Thanks for listening. Download, subscribe, comment, and like. Tell a couple of friends. Get the Zabecast app. It is very handy. Remember, podcasts are the future. They're like Netflix for your ears. Listen to them when you feel like it and don't when you don't. Email me with topics and suggestions at zabe at yahoo.com. Now, go on out there. And find that woman's house, and we will see you next time.
Bowl season is here, and it's time to get in on the action with my bookie. Don't be that guy with no rooting interest as your relatives or friends sit around watching the game. No, not this year. Not when there are a record 41 bowl games to bet on, including the national championship on Jan 7th. It really is the most wonderful time of the year. Make sure you're ready for the daily action by signing up at MyBookie today. They pay fast when you win, ownership cares about good customer service, and they offer the craziest props. Where you bet is just as important as who you're betting on. And if you want to make money during the bowl season, you got to go to MyBookie. I trust them, but you don't have to take my word for it. Check them out yourself. Join now, and MyBookie will offer you a 50% deposit bonus to make sure you have the nice bankroll for the bowl season. Use promo code ZABE when you deposit and activate the offer. That's promo code ZABE, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo. At MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid.